Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. So one of my favorite parts of the Christmas season is Christmas lights. Anybody else? Like you just love the Christmas lights? Go ahead and raise up your hand if that's you. Yes, I love Christmas lights on your house and not mine. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot of work, you know, Uh, so you should keep doing it because my family, we like to drive by and look at them. Uh, It's one of our favorite things to do. Uh, Several times throughout the season, we'll drive around and look at the Christmas lights. And Conway had several really good ones this year. I know even our city put out a list of the top houses to go by and see. Anybody see the Home Alone house? Oh man. That one was super cool. If you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you go through the Centennial neighborhood sometime this evening and go see the Home Alone house. It's awesome, right? There's others that have the huge blow up, uh, you know, machines all in their yards and um, all kinds of crazy light stuff that's, that's fun about this season. As we were driving around, I started to think, how did this start? <laughs> like, how did we start putting lights up on our houses and different things like that in the Christmas season. And so I went home and I started researching it, ended up on like the Library of Congress's website and, and discovered how we came about with Christmas lights. So it actually all started, uh, if you wanna geek out with some history with me just for a second, if that's cool. Um, it all started in the 16th century in Germany actually um, with the, the start of the Christmas tree. That's how it all started. And in fact, a guy named Martin Luther, the famous Protestant reformer, he's the one who is credited with, with starting this uh, tradition of, of bringing a tree into your home. <laughs> if you wondered like, why do we do that? Now uh, you can thank Martin Luther for that. Apparently the story goes, he was walking uh, home in the snow and the snow was coming down, it was nighttime and he looked and he saw the evergreen trees and they were covered in snow and, and all that and the light, the, the stars were twinkling above and all this. And he just saw it as a real sign of hope. And so Martin Luther decided to cut down a tree and bring it inside of his home, which that's odd for the first time, right? It's normal now, but the first time you do that, it's kind of strange to cut down a tree and bring it inside. And that's what he did. And he used it as a reminder for his family of, uh, to symbolize the, the weight of the world, the sin, the darkness and the weight of the world that's covering the entire world, but this, this standard of hope, this green tree in the midst of all the snow and the twinkling of the stars and all those kind of things was just a symbol of hope that, that light has actually invaded the darkness at Christmas time. And so that's what Martin Luther did. He brought in this tree as a symbol of hope and a remembrance of the light that's invaded the darkness. That tradition caught on. People started bringing trees into their homes as well. <laughs> and uh, they would put lights on them by putting candles on the tree. So they would light these candles and stick them to the branches of the tree with wax. It's a great idea, isn't it? Fire, wax, trees uh, in your home. Uh, So it was very dangerous. A lot of fires uh, took place because of that. Um, It wasn't until 1880, a guy named Thomas Edison created the first strand of Christmas lights. Uh, He's a pretty smart dude, in case you're unaware. Like he made the light bulb and and then he capitalized on that and made a whole strand of them. Uh, That strand, if you were to try and buy it for your home, like the equivalent price today would be $2,000. And so it didn't catch on for a while, not until like the 1920s before uh, one of our presidents put the first electric strand of lights in the White House. 
And now today in 2023, you've got blow up machines and Christmas lights everywhere and houses that are synced up to radio stations. Uh, I saw one, uh, the Christmas lights were going off to uh, turn down for what? And uh, so if, you're, if you're young and aware of that song, not really a Christmas song. Um, so that's where we are today in, in 2023. But Christmas lights, the symbol, they point us to the true reason for Christmas, which is Jesus, the light that invaded the darkness, all right? So in Luke chapter two, I'll catch you up before we read our passage this morning. Luke chapter two, we saw last week, we've been in the series of lyrics of Christmas the last four weeks. Last week we saw Jesus was born, right? Well, today our passage picks up. It's 30 days after Jesus has been born. Mary and Joseph, they have to travel from Bethlehem all the way to Jerusalem. People say it's about a five-day journey. So they leave Bethlehem where Jesus was prophesied to be born, and so he was. They, they left there, they come to Jerusalem because they need to go to the temple and offer these purification type of sacrifices and do this ceremony that Leviticus chapter 12 talks about. When they go into the temple, something very strange happens. This old man named Simeon comes up to Mary and Joseph, takes the baby away from Mary, and starts to sing a song. That's strange, right? Uh, fellas, Christmas is tomorrow, just a heads up. And so if you're out at Target this afternoon and you see a young mom with a baby, don't go take that baby from that mama. That's, that's, that's a dangerous thing to do. But that's what Simeon does. He goes and he takes this baby away from Mary and he starts to sing uh, about this thing that his eyes have been waiting to see for years, which is the light coming into the world. So that's what we're gonna read out of Luke chapter two. Before we do, I want us to pray and ask the Lord if he would speak to us and, and give us hearts and ears to hear it. So I'm gonna pray for all of us. And I wanna invite you just to pray and ask the Lord to speak to you in this moment. Let's all pray together. God, we come before you and we just wanna ask that you would do what only you can do and that's speak to our hearts. We didn't come here to hear a word from me. We wanna hear directly from you. And so Lord, from your uh, word and through your spirit, would you speak to us now and would you give us hearts and ears that are attentive and open to you and the things that you're doing in our lives. God, we wanna lift you high in this moment. We wanna glorify you. God, we're thankful for the Christmas season and all that it means for us as believers and followers of yours. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you today, Lord, I pray is the day that their eyes are opened and they leave here seeing you as Savior. Would you be with us now as we listen and as we dive into your word? Help us to understand it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter two. We're gonna start in verse 25. Mary and Joseph are going into the temple. This man named Simeon comes up to them. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, or maybe your Bible says comfort, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, here's his song, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. 
So as we look at this song, I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to decide who Simeon is. Like we need to be introduced to this man who just walks up and takes baby Jesus away from Mary. So who is Simeon? We don't know a lot about him. In fact, this is the only passage in scripture where he's mentioned. But what we do know comes from what we just read, that he was completely devoted to God, that he was full of the Holy Spirit, which is rare at this time, honestly, and he was full of faith. We also know that God made a very interesting promise to him. Verse 26, look back at that. It says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. What you need to understand is that God had been promising all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. So for thousands of years that this promised one was coming called the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who was gonna come and save the people from their sin. And Simeon had been given a promise from God himself that he would not die until he saw the Messiah was actually here. That's a huge promise. And so Simeon had been waiting for years for God to fulfill this this promise. Can we just acknowledge this morning that waiting is hard? Like waiting is hard. Any kids in the room like just dying to open up those presents that are under the tree? Yeah, waiting is tough. Um, I'm dying to open up those presents as well, you know? Waiting is tough. That's what Christmas teaches us. Christmas teaches us how to wait. In fact, the word Advent means to wait. But the thing about waiting at Christmas is you know when the waiting ends, don't you? Every year, December 25th, you're gonna open up those presents, the waiting, all the season, everything that you've been waiting for and looking forward to has now come on December 25th. The problem with waiting the rest of the year and with the other things in your life is you don't know when they're gonna end, do you? The waiting is, is open-ended. In fact, I've asked the tech team to help me out, so don't freak out. We're gonna dim the lights because this is how the Bible describes waiting. The Bible actually describes waiting as darkness. In fact, this period that Simeon was living in was described as a, as a season of darkness. Isaiah chapter nine, this prophecy, 700 years before Jesus was born, It says that the people were walking in gloom. They're waiting in darkness. And so that's that's how it's pictured. And listen, darkness brings fear to our lives, doesn't it? Waiting with unended, like not knowing what's gonna happen, where it's all gonna go, that brings fear, anxiety, loneliness, maybe even depression into our lives. Have you ever been in a room that's just so dark you can't see your hand in front of your own face? That's scary, isn't it? Uh, this past year we were on a cruise and uh, if you've ever been in the middle of the ocean at night, like you know, that's a whole new level of dark, isn't it? I was up on the top deck of, of the ship and I was looking out at night and just looking out and just there's not a light to be seen anywhere. That's a creepy feeling. It brings some uneasiness to your life and, and that's what waiting in darkness, that's what waiting or watching can feel like and maybe you feel that this morning. Maybe it doesn't feel like there's any light around you, that everything is dark, everything is scary, everything is uncertain. That situation you're walking through is just too much. Maybe life is tough and you're just waiting for God to move in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job. Maybe you've received a diagnosis that's It's causing a lot of anxiety. You're not really sure what's gonna happen with it. Maybe you've lost a loved one this year and you're feeling that. 
Maybe you feel like you're walking in darkness this morning. I think we can look at this passage and I think we can learn from Simeon who was experiencing the same kind of thing. He was walking with this unending thing in sight, not knowing when it was gonna come to fruition. And you see from his life that he both waited faithfully, like he kept showing up at the temple every single day, and he waited expectantly. Verse 25 says that he was looking forward to the promise. And then one day, in the darkness, unexpectedly, there was a light. That's how John describes the birth of Jesus. This light that entered into the darkness. That prophecy in Isaiah chapter nine, that says the people were walking in darkness, it goes on to say, and they've now seen a great light. That the light has dawned on those walking in darkness. And Isaiah goes on to describe how that brought about just an overwhelming sense of joy in them. John describes the birth of Jesus by saying that he calls him this, that in him was life and that life was the light of men, talking about Jesus. That the light shines in the darkness and that the darkness did not overcome it. Verse nine of John chapter one says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so this picture of people waiting and walking in darkness of the world was invaded the moment that Jesus was born, the light of the world. In fact, that's how Simeon refers to Jesus as well, verse 32, he calls him the light for revelation. So Simeon had waited his whole life for this one promise that he would see with his own eyes the promised Messiah, the Savior, the light in the darkness. And then it happened. He saw the light and he burst into this song of praise. Verse 28 says Simeon took him up in his arms and he praised God. What you see next is his song, verses 29 through 32. And his song, I think, has two parts to it that I wanna show you. First, he says, in the first part of the song, my eyes have seen the light. My eyes. So picture this moment, this old man, he's been waiting for years, is now holding the promised savior of the world. The one who'd been promised for years, for centuries. He's now holding him. And he's looking into the face of his personal savior. Can you imagine the feeling that he must have felt looking into the eyes of Jesus? Just this overwhelming sense of relief after all the waiting, all the years, he's now holding the promise of God, the one who not only came to save the world, but the one who came to save him. And with tears rolling down his face, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. This is extremely personal. He has this personal moment where he says, my eyes have now seen the salvation of the Lord or the one who's come to save. And in response to that, what he says in verse 29 is, Lord, I'm ready for you to take me now. Like I can face death now because I've seen your salvation. The, the good news, one of the pieces that, that we hold on to as Christians, one of the reasons that Jesus is so good is that we have this uncommon peace as we walk through the darkness of this world. Even in the face of death, our greatest enemy as human beings. This past week, I sat in the living room of a sweet longtime member of our church, Virginia Johnson. She just lost her husband, Spencer, this past week. And I was sitting in her living room and we were talking and, 
It was just the two of us, and, and we just had this conversation as she was just describing just this overwhelming sense of peace that she has. Even in the midst of just losing her spouse of over 50 years, she's just going, I can't explain it, but I've just got peace. And I know that Spencer was ready to meet Jesus, and so I, I, just, I just have peace. And we began to talk about how 1 Thessalonians tells us that as Christians, we don't grieve as the rest of the world does. Like, we grieve with hope. That doesn't say that we don't grieve at all, but we grieve differently. We have a hope. We have peace. Philippians chapter 4 says that we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Right? And we began to just talk about that, that we can't understand how anybody can face the things that this world throws at us without a relationship with Jesus. I, I know that this time of year is marketed as the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? That's what you see on all the commercials, every store you walk into, everything is magical, everything is wonderful, and, and this time of year, everything in your life, all your problems are going to magically, uh, you know, be fixed, and we can thank the Hallmark Channel for that in large part, right? But there's just this, this pervasive thought in our culture and society that says this time of year, all your problems are going to be better, and then they just don't get better. Sociologists have... Uh, coined a term that they call the Christmas blues, which talks about the fact that every year, December 26th follows December 25th, and you put up the lights, and you put up the tree, and your problems still exist. And so I don't, like, I hope that this time of year is magical for you. I hope everything is great in your life, but, but let's say that it's not. Maybe this season for you personally is tough, and it's dark. I want you to hear what John calls Jesus. He calls him the light and he says this, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. There's good news in that for us, that darkness does not overcome light. Have you ever been in your home at nighttime and you open up your front door? Does the darkness rush into your house? No, the, dark, the, the light goes out, invades into the darkness. The, the light always pierces the darkness. So I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know the darkness that you're facing, but I do know this, that we can face whatever this world throws our way, including death itself, because we have the peace of Jesus. We have the light of our Savior. And maybe you're sitting there going, how do I have that kind of peace? Tell me more about this peace. What I would say is you've got to be able to say, like Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation means the one who's come to save. Jesus famously refers to himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And what he says is he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. What you need to know is that throughout the Bible, darkness represents sin and death. Sin and death. John chapter three, verse 19 makes it clear. It says that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So darkness is sin. It's in every single one of us. Every single one of us is a sinner. We're all walking in darkness and not only walking in it, but we actually love it. We love sin. I don't even need to probably illustrate that for you. You can just look into your own life and know, yes, I'm a sinner. I don't measure up to God's standard of perfection. 
But the Bible says that our sin separates us from a holy God. And we talked last week about how Jesus came to actually bring peace between us and God, to reconcile man and God together. And he did that because he wasn't just born as a baby in Bethlehem. He was born to die as the savior and the king of the world. He went to a Roman cross where they killed him. He lived a perfect life. He was, he was falsely accused. He, he didn't deserve to be killed, but he willingly laid down his life so that sinners like you and me could be made right with a holy God. His body was broken, his blood was shed, he was on a cross, he died a death that you and I should have died. But then they put him in a tomb because he was dead. Three days later, just as he said that he would, he came walking out of the tomb alive, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating darkness once and for all. And then the invitation to us sitting in this room right now, the good news is that you and I can say, my eyes have seen your salvation. The, the invitation is, is what Jesus says in John eight twelve that anyone who follows me will have the light of life. And you can do that this morning. You can leave here knowing that you know salvation the way that Simeon sings about. But I need you to know and I need you to understand that this is a personal decision that you must make. Like, nobody can make it for you. You, you have to to decide. Simeon says, my eyes have seen salvation. Grandma can't decide this for you. Grandma can't pass her faith down to you. You have to decide once and for all for yourself. I know that grandma would pass it down if she could, but she can't. My story is that my grandma... Uh, was the founding piece of our Christian story for our family. My family was off the rails, but my grandma one day went to a revival service, gave her life to Jesus, was radically transformed, and from there, the, the whole path of our family's history has been radically changed. And I'm standing here today, not because my grandma's faith, but because I saw her faith and I made a personal decision myself to trust Jesus and devote my life to him. And that's the same choice that every single person in this room must make. Romans 10, 9 tells us very simply how you do this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, scripture says you will be saved. You don't have to guess, you don't have to wonder, you don't have to hope that you've been good enough in the end. This morning, right here, right now, you can place your trust and your faith in this Savior, the light who's invaded the darkness. And my prayer for you, I've been praying all weekend that those who just happen to wander in here today, maybe to the church service for the very first time, would leave here singing this song of Simeon, that my eyes have seen your salvation. That's the invitation to you. I would ask, can you say that honestly? whether this is your first time in the room or you've been here for 50 years, can you honestly and genuinely sing the same song of Simeon that says, my eyes personally have seen your salvation? The second part of Simeon's song, he says in the first part, my eyes have seen the light. The second part, he says, may all eyes see the light. May all eyes see. Look at verse 32. It says that he has come as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. That word Gentiles there is key. 
It could be translated as all the nations. I would venture to say that every single person in this room is a Gentile, unless you're like Jewish or something like that. But I would guess most of us fall into this category of Gentile. And so the good news that what that just said is that the light of revelation has come to you and me, that Jesus is for the world, not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, for the world. One of the cool things about that cruise that I was telling you about earlier is uh, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know that like it's just full of different cultures and different countries and different types of people are all on this same little boat, whether that's the staff on the cruise ship or the passengers, it's representative of the world, if you will. And that night that I was standing on the balcony looking out and just looking at the darkness and just having this moment of just going, God, you are so good for sending the light to invade the darkness. I think the Lord spoke to me in another way that here we are, we're sailing through the darkness with the world (laughs) represented. And I just began to be a bit overwhelmed at the thought that this is the picture of the reality that many on this boat face, and I'm not even sure they realize it that they're just sailing through this world in utter darkness and separation from the Lord and they don't even, they don't even realize it. And what I would tell you is that's your friends, that's your coworkers, that's those on your ball teams and in your schools, that's your family members around the table tomorrow morning. People who are just sailing through this world in utter darkness And so let me ask you, Christian, believer, you profess Jesus as your savior, do we believe that this word is true? Do we actually believe that it's true, that Christ alone is the light of the world? That life outside of him is darkness that leads straight to death? If so, then we've gotta be sharing this news. We've gotta be sharing the light that we've found. If you're a believer, here's what I want you to hear that Jesus calls you. He said in John chapter eight, verse 12, I am the light of the world. In Matthew chapter five, he says this, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, here's your assignment. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Paul says it this way in Acts chapter 13. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have been made, or I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you understand the weight of that statement? that if you are a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, he calls you the light that the world needs to see. He's talking about us, he's talking about his church. That there's a whole world that's walking in darkness, desperate for the light. Outside of finding the light, they are gonna be separated for all of eternity in darkness, away from the Lord. And Jesus says that they're gonna see the light in us. That's heavy. That's heavy. I think it's worth asking. 
are you taking this whole thing seriously enough? Are you leveraging your life for the sake of the gospel? Look, if this is the first time you've been in church since Easter, I'm not hating on you or anything like that, but it's worth asking, are you taking this seriously enough? If you profess to be a follower of Jesus, are you sharing the light with those around you? This passage clearly teaches us that Jesus is the light who invades the darkness. And the song, hopefully, that you and I can sing is my eyes have personally seen your salvation and thank God for that. But then our purpose is to also sing, may all eyes see your light as well. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.